because I want to stand up for my rights and because Donald Trump is not my president he does not represent my people he does not represent DC or what people really want you know right yeah America don't make America hate again the reason I came out was I know Houston do president alike but we have to make sure that he's looking out for all of America not just one percent that he's used to we're gonna bring tens of millions of people moms and dads and their kids yes. Yes. Together, together, the terrible fossil fuel industry, that their short-term profits are not more important than the future of our planet. Thank you. Another trade, evil trade deal like this, that sells out the workers and our environment and our planet, will be back. So we're here to convince them not to bother because we will fight. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam. This week, the week after the election of Donald Trump as the 45th president of the United States, has been a time of tremendous action here in D.C. As the city and region continues to reverberate from Trump's election, our streets have been filled with activists, including students, environmentalists, and those celebrating the apparent death of the controversial Trans-Pacific Partnership or TPP. These actions are also occurring in the wake of Trump's appointment of Steve Bannon, leader of the racist alt-right, as senior advisor and other elements of the far right, including persons recommended by corporate lobbyists. Today, we'll also continue our coverage of the monumental fight for clean water, land, and air at Standing Rock. And this is the third week of the month, and in the second half, we'll have a new installment of the F-Word, our exploration of fascism, proto-fascism, and pre-fascism in the U.S. and emanating from the U.S. Our guest today is Brian Becker, National Coordinator of the Answer Coalition and host of Loud and Clear at Sputnik Radio. So as always, we have a lot crammed into our less than an hour, starting with our headlines. One group of activists celebrating in D.C. this week was the popular resistance coalition led by Margaret Flowers and Kevin Zeese that has been fighting for more than five years against the controversial Trans-Pacific Partnership, or TPP, a trade deal widely condemned for privileging multinational corporate profits over public interests and even over the sovereignty of governments. The White House acknowledged this week that President Obama will stop his lobbying for passage of the deal in the lame duck Congress. Chantal James has more about one in a series of actions this week in D.C., this one on Monday night. A crowd of a few hundred gathered in Freedom Plaza across the street from the Ronald Reagan Building in downtown Washington for a peaceful demonstration against the Trans-Pacific Partnership, or TPP. Protesters ranged from children to elders, from black to white to Latinx and Asian. The mood was high as the march coursed down 14th Street, carrying signs that read, Flush the TPP and People Power. At one point, the demonstrators descended to the freeway where they shut down three lanes of traffic for 15 minutes until police came and ordered them back. Protesters had come from far and wide, from Illinois to Massachusetts. 
Susan of Albany, New York, explains why despite recent victories, people must still be on their guard. I am here to celebrate what looks like the end of the Trans-Pacific Partnership for now. People power have de has defeated the worst trade compromise, corporate takeover of the world economy. But the fight is only beginning because the Republicans are now in charge of both houses of Congress and they have the presidency. And surely another trade, evil trade deal like this that sells out the workers and our environment and our planet will be back. So we're here to convince them not to bother because we will fight. For more information, visit flushthetpp.org. For On the Ground, this is Chantal James signing off. Thousands of students in D.C. and the region walked out of class this week and rallied in D.C. in a protest that organizers said was designed to demonstrate to President-elect Trump their unity across lines of race, gender, sexual identity, religion, and documentation status. Students protested at the Trump International Hotel, but there were also protests at the Capitol, the Supreme Court, and finally the Washington Monument. We'll have voices of the students after headlines. Now, speaking of voices, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders made his heard at several actions and events, including a Standing Rock Solidarity March on Tuesday, an address at George Washington University on Wednesday, and a rally on Capitol Hill on Thursday that drew thousands. More on Bernie after headlines. And finally, the news this week that Donald Trump has appointed Steve Bannon, the leader of the white nationalist alt-right as his senior advisor, further highlights the action by the D.C. anti-fascist coalition tomorrow. The coalition will gather uh, that Saturday, November 19th, at the intersection of Pennsylvania Avenue and 13th Street Northwest at 12.30 p.m. to protest the National Policy Institute, or NPI, a white nationalist think tank whose founder, Richard Spencer, coined the term alt-right and has called for a peaceful ethnic cleansing and a dedicated white ethno state in this country. An organizer with the coalition, Andrew Batcher, told On the Ground last week that, that there is a connection between Bannon, who headed the Breitbart Media, and other elements of the alt-right. Who's the head of the National Policy Institute has actually called Steve Bannon alt light. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it's sort of the, the Steve Bannon and Breitbart sort of represents a more mainstream version of alt right, where they'll be less overtly racist. So less less saying uh, you know we need a white homeland, and more saying hey, uh, uh, publicizing the birther. The birther movement, for example, saying, you know, I, I don't know, is, is Obama really uh, an American? You know, is he a secret Muslim? Like this kind of thing where it's a little less overt, but, but still uh, very much propels the goals of the movement. The D.C. Anti-Fascist Coalition will gather tomorrow, Saturday, November 19th, at the intersection of Pennsylvania Avenue and 13th Street Northwest at 12.30 p.m. to protest the MPI. For more information about tomorrow's protests, uh, go to Smash Racism DC on Facebook.
In Culture and Media, Ava DuVernay's critically acclaimed documentary 13th about the racist history of mass incarceration in the United States was made available for free downloads in the aftermath of Trump's election. The movie is otherwise only available on Netflix. In our area, Plymouth Congregational Church and WEAC Radio were among the organizations presenting screenings for audiences. Here is the trailer, some sounds from the 13th movie. One out of four human beings with their hands on bars, shackled, in the world, are locked up here in the land of the free. Khalif Browder was walking home from a party when he was stopped by police. Then they said, we're going to take you to the precinct, and most likely we're going to let you go home. And then I never went home. The 13th Amendment to the Constitution makes it unconstitutional for someone to be held as a slave. There are exceptions, including criminals. The loophole was immediately exploited. What you got after that was a rapid transition to a mythology of black criminality. Some people got the real problem. Animals. Beast that needed to be controlled. You better believe it. Tony Human. It became virtually impossible for a politician to run and appear soft on crime. The kinds of kids that are called super predators. Millions of dollars will be allocated for prison and jail facilities. Three strikes and you are out. It was an enormous burden on the black community, but it also violated a sense of core fairness. States were required to keep these prisons filled, even if nobody was committing a crime. It's so difficult to talk about mass incarceration because it has become heavily monetized. The focus is on taking people from prison, putting them in community corrections, parole and probation. How much progress is it really if now there's a private company making money off the GPS monitor? We now have more African Americans under criminal supervision than all the slaves back in the 1850s. We are the products of the history that our ancestors chose. Products of that set of choices that we have to understand in order to escape from it. So the 13th documentary is available on Netflix. And those are our headlines and happenings. When we come back, voices of students in the DMV reacting to the election of Donald Trump. Stay with us. Why? 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 Why?
my name's Taylor Addison and I came down today because I just feel like with all of the things that he said in his um, speeches and to get America on his side, I feel like as, as a female and an African American, I need to stand up and make sure that my voice is heard and for him to know that I'm not you can't just like walk over me or like just pass me up mm -hmm. like I'm here and I need some things done for me as well right not right. just for white America or the rich like I'm not rich so it makes it even harder so I just want to make sure that my future is set because I'm trying to go to college and have a good career I attend Benjamin Banneker Academic High School and I'm a senior my name's Dia Demita Anyanobi. I go to I also go to Benjamin Banneker I'm also a senior um, the reason I came out was I know he's the new president he's the new president alike but we have to make sure that he's looking out for all of America not just one percent that he's used to so I hope that we're all just we just all come collectively together to say, oh, you have to worry about all of us, not just one percent. Okay. Uh, and my name is Miles Davis Matthews, and I mean, I think we just came out here to show that we're unified in all of this, and that we're not going to respond to hatred with more hatred. That we are a community that we need to support each other during this time, and that we all understand that Donald Trump is going to be president, but we're not going to let that define how we live our lives for the next four to eight years. Um, and that, you know, we still have power, that our votes matter, our voices matter, and that, you know, all of us matter equally, and that no one should, um, you know, feel as though that they're not safe or that they don't have support or they don't have community. We're, we're here trying to show that everyone has a space. And what the poster I saw said that you all aren't going to let him divide you. When, when, when the poster said that, what did it mean in terms of dividing people? We're not letting it divide us. We're not going to let the divisions that he's definitely tried to make with his rhetoric in the political campaigns with saying that, you know, the Mexicans are this and the blacks are this and the gays are this. We're not going to let that define who we are individually. We're going to stick together. Despite, I mean, if you look over there, you see not just white faces, but black and brown and you know, so we're not divided. Okay. I came because I want to stand up for my rights and because Donald Trump is not my president. He does not represent my people. He does not represent D.C. or what people really want, you know? Right. Yeah. America, don't make America hate again. Right. Yeah. What's your sign say? My sign says, name a minority that they have not insulted. I'll wait. So you want to all tell me what school you all came out from? Or? We came out from Eel Haynes High School. I'm in 10th grade. Yeah. We still want to stand out for our rights. And we're not going nowhere. Right. And you say you're not going anywhere. Is because you think Trump is targeting? Because he's targeting immigrants, Hispanics. Mind you, my family, I have immigrants in my family. One of my family members leave. We're all going to leave because we stick together as a family. And he's trying to separate us. And that's not going to happen. Right. Okay. He does not represent yeah. all the other people in he the doesn't. United States, like minorities, black people, Asians, like uh, Muslims, Hispanics. He does not like those people, and yeah, yeah, that's what I like to say, yeah. All right, what's the school again? I, I forgot. Eon Haynes. Haynes High School. Eon okay. Haynes Public Charter School. We came down to support black lives. Black lives? Mm -hmm. Okay, tell me more. We came down here to make a change in the world, and we feel that we don't like who our president is today. And what, what don't you like about it? That hatred and racism yeah. and putting stereotype immigrants and Muslims, making them feel like they're not a part of this world. Thank you, Muslim. And trying to bring new laws and different hatreds to our city. Do you think that any of you, your families would be targeted by Trump?
We from the hood and yeah. it's public housing so maybe he tried to do something because he think just in everybody in the hood is like bad and it's gonna mess up the world. Mm -hmm. And he probably trying to rebuild the projects like this project so he try to where we came from yeah mm -hmm. break them down or rebuild them or try to change us for who we are mm -hmm. yeah well, okay threaten your where you live yeah. so what school you go to kcp kip college preparatory high school where is that florida avenue no it's off yeah it's beside got you there Brentwood parkway yeah I'm from Bell Multicultural High School and I came here today to show that as teens we are united and we are one regardless of who's our president. We have a voice and it needs to be heard. Recently there have been many comments, um, there have been many incidents, um, racist incidents to be exact and that just shows that our nation is starting to get divided and we won't let that happen. As the youth we may not be old enough to vote yet but we do have a voice and we do matter and we want to show that to the rest of the world as well. How about you? Uh, my name is Emily Marchena and I go to Bell Multicultural High School. I feel like, yeah, we might not be able to vote, but it's our future. Like, I feel that we need to be heard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> my name is Rahel Midexa and I'm also from Bell. Um, I came out here today, just like my peers said, I wanted to come out here and stand for something. I don't want our country to be divided. We, you know the reason that why we're so great is because we're all different and diversity is the key to success in our country. So I want to implement that and I want to make sure that youth are interested in politics. You know, age does not determine um, your wisdom or what you can say. We are the land of freedom, liberty, and I'm here to exercise that. So did you all have some chance today? Yes, yes we, we did. did. All right. So that tell me my something. favorite one is the one. Uh, this is what democracy looks like. This is what democracy looks like. This is what democracy looks like. <laughs> and what's the one you like? No fear, no hate. Everybody's welcome here. No fear, no hate. Everybody's welcome here. No fear, no hate. Everybody's welcome here. I'm Adelaide Price. Sophie Thirschwell. William Wright. Okay, and you're all students at Wilson. Yeah. yeah. There's a club at Wilson that's called Common Ground, and they were the ones who organized this. Them and the Human Rights Club. And so the whole thing was that after the election, Wilson itself was just super depressing. Like the day after the election, everyone was quiet, nobody really knew what to do, and everyone was kind of in shock. Like, it's that specifically just kind of spurred everyone to want to make some kind of change and to show that we as students have a voice and to show that even though this thing that no one really at our school supported happened, we're not going to let it divide us as, as a school and as a country, hopefully. I don't know. Yeah, we're fortunate enough to have an incredibly diverse student body, and I think we wanted to, like, show that we're unified against this election like that even though we're diverse we all stand up for basic human rights and that we we're not going to like support a president who just doesn't stand for any of those values yeah um yeah yeah how about you i i think that it is a really good thing to you know let people join together and because like a lot of time at wilson people don't really do that much together it's either by club or by like whatever you're in this is really just a school-wide thing. This is just everybody together for the same cause. Also, um, 
Wilson's uh, self-segregated, and uh, Common Ground is one of the clubs that does a actually like does something to try to attempt to bridge that gap. And I think that this protest will bring our entire school together a lot. I'm Sophie Bennett. I go to the field school, and I'm here today so that Trump knows who he should be pandering his votes to next time he runs, and he should know that we're here. And we didn't elect him, and we're what's next. We're what he has to look forward to. Okay. You know, we can't really stop, like, Trump from being president anymore, but we can, like, stop the things that he's doing. We can, we can do what we, we can what do. What can do when your, um, your sign say? It says, no to racist Bannon. It's because, like, I don't know, a lot of times people are like, no more Trump, but Trump is here. And we can change, like, what he is doing like we can influence the things he's gonna the people he's gonna appoint my name is Maverick and I go to Murray mm -hmm. and I came out just to uh, show that we can come together as a community to show that we won't stand for bigotry racism any just we won't stand for anything that is immoral and wrong mm -hmm. that our president does mm -hmm. or that he said that he would do right right how about you? Uh, my name is Cole. Mm -hmm. I go to Murray School with Maverick. And like he said, we came out because we don't stand with the president who's racist, who's sexist, misogynistic. And we needed our voices to be heard. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a quote by Martin Luther King. It's, a riot is the language of the unheard. And I think us being young and a lot of us not of voting age, we couldn't get our voice out and this is the way we had to do it. My name's Hunter, Edmund Burke School, and I came out to support everybody who Trump has talked bad against and about, and just showing that we're united and that he will not be able to divide us no matter what comes his way or our way. So. When you say divide us, who do you mean? Who's us? Everyone who's not a white, straight man. Do you think you accomplished, uh, do you think that people heard you today? Oh, absolutely. Um, I don't think we were expecting this big of a turnout, but the turnout has been amazing, blocking off streets everything, all of the honking and everyone coming out of their office buildings to cheer us on and support us. It's been awesome, so I'm glad for it. Hopefully he hears us. If you're just tuning in, you just heard voices of some of the students, high school and middle school students, taking part in a massive walkout and what organizers said was designed to demonstrate to President-elect Trump their unity across the lines of race, gender, sexual identity, religion, and documentation status. Students protested at the Trump International Hotel, but there were also protests at the Capitol, the Supreme Court, and finally at the Washington Monument. Uh, police estimated 3,000 students, and that might be an undercount. <laughs> uh, we'll be right back with an update on environmental justice issues from Morocco. Stay with us. Does it got to come Does down to this? Come down to this? In order to see In things to for see what things they are, for, for what, what it is. We still might not be free up in this piece or treated very equally as far as I can see. Hell no, we ain't all right. We ain't all right. Now all these press conferences, breaking news alert, this just in. While your government looks for a war to win. Flames for the blame game, names where I begin. Walls closing and get some help to rock in. Who cares? While the rest of the Bush nation stares as the drama unfolds as we the people under the stairs. 50% of this son of a Bush nation is like hating on Haiti and setting up assassinations. Ask Pat Robinson, quiz him. Mm. Smells like junk. 
That was Public Enemy on On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. I'm Esther Averam. Well, this week of large demonstrations in D.C. included hundreds of people who rallied outside the, the office of the Army Corps of Engineer and then marched to the White House where Senator Bernie Sanders spoke, urging a halt to the construction of the Dakota Access Pipeline. The pipeline has disturbed sacred burial sites of the Standing Rock Sioux Nation, which has been in a standoff about the pipeline which the Sioux and their supporters say will endanger their water and the water for at least 300,000 people in nine counties served by the Missouri River. Outside the office of the Army Corps of Engineer, Aaron Weiss, defender of Indigenous Rights International Indigenous Youth Council, asked tough questions of Donald Jackson, Deputy Commanding General of Civil and Emergency Operations for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. On behalf of the youth, I have a question for you. Do you have children? I do. You do? Okay. I do too. I live with the youth council. I live with 20 youth who every single day wake up and pray that the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is going to not grant the easement to the Dakota Access Company, that they will not allow the Dakota Access to continue to destroy our water. I guess I'm a little upset here because my other question, and I, I feel like it should be asked, is have you ever been raped? I have not. Okay, I have. And when they put that pipeline in our mother every single day, they do it. It reminds me of what it was like when somebody forcibly put something inside of me that I did not request to be there. And on behalf of the youth that want to wake up with clean water tomorrow and want to have children consensually, we are asking you to not grant that easement. We are asking you to stand up on behalf of the people that you have sworn to protect. My grandfather was a member of the United States Army. He was there in World War II. He carried out six men at a time from the Nazi encampments because that's how emaciated they were. He fought every single day to remember how to smile because after the things that he saw, he couldn't. We had to remind him every day, it's, Soya, it's time to smile. Every single day I look at these kids that have seen more destruction and more disaster in their lifetime than anyone should ever have to. And my little brother and sister every single day come back to me and they say, the mace didn't hurt as bad today. The tear gas didn't hurt as bad today. You know, you took an oath to protect us. Your, your companions, your colleagues, they took an oath to protect us. And the children are begging you, as an ate, as a father, to protect us. Tuesday's rally in March here in D.C. was part of a global day of solidarity with Standing Rock, including actions at more than 300 locations across the nation and world, including in Marrakesh, Morocco, where the U.N. Climate Summit is taking place. With me in studio right now is our environmental justice producer, Michelle Roberts, and uh, we have some folks from Morocco joining us. Michelle? This morning we have joining us Anhala Adrar, uh, Executive Director of the Climate Justice Alliance, Jose Bravo, Executive Director of the uh, Just Transition Alliance, uh, and Alberto Saldamando, Attorney for the Indigenous Environmental Network, and Kali Akuno of Operation Jackson. We're happy to have them representing us as voices of impacted communities on the ground there in Northern Africa at the UN uh, climate negotiations. 
Okay. So uh, we we want to ask them um, first, uh, maybe address yes. uh, Ho- Jose Bravo. Good morning, Jose. How, how will the new presidential election uh, impact environmental justice communities and what's being discussed there in Morocco about our president-elect? Hello. Okay. Um, do we who, who do we have on? Who, who can have? hear us? Can anybody hear us there? Okay. All right. Well, what we'll do is, Mike, we have a clip of Bernie Sanders speaking out in front of the White House at the end of that Tuesday's rally, uh, speaking to hundreds. I don't know. It might have been even a thousand people out there uh, that marched from the Army Corps of Engineers to the White House. Let's go to him now. Well, thank you. Viva Bernie! Shane and I are proud and honored to be with you this evening. And we're proud and honored to be with people in 300 communities all over this country who are demanding that the pipeline not be built. We are honored to be with a worldwide community of people throughout the world who are demanding that the Dakota pipeline not be built. The issues are very clear. For hundreds of years, the Native American people in our country, the first Americans, have been lied to, have been cheated, and their sovereign rights have been denied them. And today we are saying it is time for a new approach to the Native American people not to run a pipeline through their land. And we are demanding that sovereign rights of the Native American people be honored and respected. And the second issue that we are here for this night is to understand that in in the midst of a major water crisis and a growing crisis in our country and around the world, we are not going to allow a pipeline to endanger the clean water that millions of people depend upon. And the third issue, the third issue is that everybody here understands that not only is climate change real, not only is it caused by human behavior, but it is already causing devastating problems in our country and all over this world. It is totally insane and future generations will look back on us now and say, what in God's name were you doing? Our job now is to break our dependency on fossil fuel. job now is to move aggressively sustainable energies like wind and solar and geothermal. 
the idea that at this moment in history, when the scientific community is crystal clear that we need to transform our energy system, that at this moment we have the fossil fuel industry pushing for more pipelines, for more dependency on fossil fuel is totally insane. So we say to President Obama, in any and every way you can, stop the pipeline. Tell the Army Corps of Engineers that we know, we don't need any more studies to know, that in the midst of a great crisis, a global crisis with regard to climate change, Every environmental study will tell you, do not build this pipeline. And if there are other approaches, such as declaring, declaring Sandy Rock a federal monument, let's do that. That we have a new president coming in. Who wants, who wants this country to become more dependent on fossil fuel, who is endangering, endangering the lives of our children and our grandchildren and future generations. What we have got to tell Mr. Trump and everybody else, we are not going silently into the night. The stakes are too high for the future of this planet. We are going to be smart, we're going to educate, we're going to organize, we're going to bring tens of millions of people, moms and dads and their kids. Together, together, to tell the fossil fuel industry that their short-term profits are not more important than the future of our planet. That was Senator Bernie Sanders speaking in front of the White House before hundreds of people gathered for the Global Day of Solidarity with Sandy Rock on Tuesday night here in the district. When we come back, this month's installment of The F Word with Brian Becker of the Answer Coalition. Stay with us. Show up for you owe me. Life is not promised. Yeah, I ain't no perfect man. I'm shining to the best that I can with what it is I have. And I ain't no perfect man. I'm shining to the best that I can with this mic in my hand. Even though it's feedback, still gon' come at you. Put my heart and soul into it, y'all. Let's stop. Do you feel me? This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. I'm Esther Averam. And since this is the third Friday, we're diving into the F word, our monthly exploration of fascism, proto-fascism, and pre-fascism in the United States and emanating from the United States. Our guest today is Brian Becker, National Coordinator of the Answer Coalition, 
and host of Loud and Clear at Sputnik Radio. Good morning, Brian. Are you hearing me? Oh, I hear you now. I hear you now. Okay. I said good to be with you. Good okay. morning. Okay. Okay. I'm glad you could hear me. You know, I hear a lot of people in the news reports talking about fear. They're afraid of what a Donald Trump presidency means. Uh, for example, racists have been emboldened to perform acts of hate and vandalism. So, for you, does the Trump candidacy and presidency represent a material rightward shift toward fascism, more corporate control than we already have? Or is the danger more in this type of, of oppression, repression, um, to attacks against national minorities and the appeal to you know racism and anti-Semitism to placate white nationalists or both? <laughs> Well, I, I think the Trump administration, and we can see how it's shaping up now with the recent appointments of Mike Pompeo to be the director of CIA, Michael Flynn, General Flynn to be the national security advisor, Jeff Sessions, uh, who will be the uh, the attorney general. We can see that this is shaping up to be an extreme right wing uh, administration, and I would say the hallmark of it is extreme racism. Uh, Jeff Sessions could not even be confirmed as a federal district judge when he was uh, appointed uh, by Ronald Reagan in 1986 because of his egregious, grotesque, and open racism against black people in Alabama and elsewhere. Uh, now he's going to be in charge of the Justice Department. I think, if anything, that sends a signal not only to the KKK, which he said, by the way, I like the KKK, except until I found out that they smoke marijuana. Uh, but right. even more so, it's a signal to police forces around the country that whatever sort of mild or tepid uh, restraints the Justice Department was trying to put on police killers uh, in black and Latino communities, uh, we can expect all of those restraints to be lifted. So I think even more importantly than the KKK and the ultra-right and lone wolf uh, hate crimes is going to be the message it sends to law enforcement around the country. So I think this is a, a, a shift to the right, a profound shift to the right. And I think that uh, I don't believe it's fascism. I think fascism is something a little bit different, which doesn't mean that there aren't fascists in the administration. And it doesn't mean that the fascists like the Nazis, like the Klan, like other white supremacist groups aren't feeling emboldened because we know very much that they are feeling emboldened right now. Talk a little bit about that, because I've had these kinds of conversations for about two years now. And one of the things that we've tried to deal with at times is to talk about uh, fascist elements or fascists being within an administration or in positions of power, but that not necessarily meaning that the whole system is 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 either pre-fascist or proto-fascist or whatever. What what does that look like when we have uh, people in the administration who you know really are fascists? Yeah. So if you think of fascism, well, at least if I think of fascism, not as just an epithet or, or a negative term uh, to describe a horrible, racist, right wing uh, ideology or behavior, but trying to see it as it really existed in its classic form, say, in Italy or in Germany, when Mussolini and Hitler came to power, uh, it represented in those countries where the fascists took over not simply of the advent, uh, advent of uh, right-wing racist ideology and, and uh, race supremacy theories, but the actual e complete elimination of the left. In Germany, for instance, Hitler came to power in January 1933. 
the very strong left social democratic and communist movement was eviscerated, wiped out uh, within six or eight months. Uh, all the progressive organizations in Germany it was the a place where the LGBT movement uh, grew strong in Europe for the first time. It was then called the gay rights or the homosexual rights movement. Uh, Hitler eliminated gay people in Germany. Same in Italy. The left parties uh, sent to prison or executed. So I don't think Trump's uh, taking the White House means that the left has to fear its complete annihilation. And in fact, I think we should see that the Trump administration as a challenge, but also an opportunity to mobilize millions of people who don't agree with his program. So we have space. We have civil liberties still, even if that space is narrowing, and we have to take advantage of it. Fascism, the success of fascism, would mean the complete closing of those spaces, and I think uh, we're not there yet. You know, it's interesting you talk about the closing of those spaces because I've heard some people who supported Hillary Clinton's uh, present uh, nomination and candidacy uh, talk about her being president as at least keeping the window of opportunity more open for activism or keeping open the opportunity of having perhaps uh, a Supreme Court justice that wasn't so far right, uh, extreme right. Uh, what What's your position about how the left can... Uh, you know, maintain viability under a Trump presidency versus what would have happened under a Clinton presidency? Well, let's set aside the issue of the Supreme Court because it's kind of its own, its own little animal over there. But if we look at the broader question that you're asking, uh, I think the left can grow very, very strong under the Trump uh, administration. I think even since day one, the, the day after the election, Hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people have been in the streets. We're mobilizing. We're organizing. We're going to be there on Inauguration Day in record numbers. So I think there's a, there's a great opportunity to organize and to mobilize and to fight back. And I, I don't think we should slip into despondency or despair because we have an ultra-right administration. I think we should fight. We should organize. We should mobilize. I think that should be our spirit. And then the other issue which you're raising, which is an extremely important issue, is about the Clintons and uh, the left say, and the, whether we whether the left should support the the neoliberal capitalist elites like the Clintons on the basis that they're not as bad as the more far right capitalists. Uh, well, I have a different. My view is different. During the Clinton administration in 1990s, uh, the Clinton administration essentially adopted the program Ronald Reagan, the ultra right Republican, could only dream of. Reagan could not do away with aid for dependent children. He could not end welfare as we know it. Of course, he engaged in racist stereotyping of so-called welfare queens and all of that. But it was the Clinton administration, the Democrats, uh, who actually ended welfare. Seven million children were cut off uh, public uh, relief uh, in one day in 1996, ending, mm -hmm. quote, welfare as we know it. And the left did nothing under the Clinton administration, where if Reagan had tried it, and this is why Reagan didn't try it, the left and the civil rights movement and the labor movement would have been in the streets causing uh, havoc, uh, making it impossible to push th through those kind of reactionary or counter-revolutionary reforms. Same with mass incarceration. 
Uh, Reagan started it, but it was really the Clintons that uh, led the situation where the prison population went from one million to two million. I mean, whereby the United States with a population of six percent of the world's people has 25 percent of the world's prisoners. I mean, that was under Clinton. Uh, habeas corpus rights for death row prisoners eviscerated, outlawed, in fact, under Clinton uh, following the attack uh, in Oklahoma City where a white supremacist uh, blew up the federal building on April 24th, uh, 1995. The uh, Muslims were rounded up. Uh, Arabs were rounded up. And then the the recourse was eliminate uh, habeas corpus rights for prisoners so that even people on death row who can show innocence are still being executed because of what the Clintons did. So I think relying on the Clintons or the Democrats is just a folly. I think we shouldn't do it. I think it was a big mistake. I think Clinton's campaign, uh, the reason she lost is that she couldn't speak even to working class uh, communities in Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania that had voted for Obama in 2008 and 2012. They were mostly white working class communities. But the fact that they voted for Obama in those two elections also showed that in spite of white supremacy or white racism, they could have been appealed to. But the Clinton capitalist elites have no program for them. They ignored them. They treated them with extreme arrogance. And then you have uh, Trump using racist demagoguery and the promise of change and the promise of uh, jobs coming back. He captured some of those votes. That, again, was the consequence uh, not of uh, James Comey, the FBI director. That was the arrogance and hubris of the, of the Clinton neoliberal elites, from my point of view. So the other thing happening this week is that activists celebrated the apparent death of the Trans-Pacific Partnership or the TPP, uh, which we've been describing on this show as as like a global corporate grab. And as our listeners know, our touchstone for the F word is the statement by 1960s revolutionary George Jackson, who defined fascism as the complete control of the state by monopoly capital. So I'm wondering what your view is of the TPP and its defeat in the context of this conversation and your view of the fact that President Obama was cheerleading the TPP all through the election up until last week. The dominant Washington consensus within the ruling class of America has been for the so-called TPP or TTIP. Uh, which is that version for Europe or NAFTA or CETA or any of these other trade agreements, which are not uh, about free trade per se. They're really, as you put it, about a corporate power grab, uh, eliminating uh, sort of sovereignty for weaker countries and allowing corporations and their panel of secret judges to actually sue governments that did anything progressive if it obstructed uh, the free flow of of capital, meaning the the maximizing of profit for the capitalists. Uh, those that's the Washington consensus. Donald Trump represents a different wing within the establishment, and he has made his opposition to TPP part of a broad appeal to working class communities in the Rust Belt who have been hollowed out by these trade policies. Uh, what what Trump will really do, we don't know. He says that he's going to end NAFTA. Now, there's $11 billion of commodities that come across the U.S.-Mexican border every day. I mean, the scope and the scale and the magnitude of his economic program, should it be implemented, it's really hard to know what its impact will be on global capitalism. Likewise, he says maybe he'll have a 45 to 50 percent tariff wall against products coming from China. Well, of course, China can retaliate. China holds three trillion dollars in U.S. debt uh, because it's bought three trillion dollars of U.S. securities. 
So are we on the precipice of a major trade war, which is usually a precursor to military confrontation between the U.S. and China? I mean, the the scale and the magnitude of what's coming is sort of uh, it's beyond the scope of imagination at the moment. Nobody knows, including Trump, what the impact of his policies will be. But if he were to implement them, uh, certainly I think they'd have a profound and negative impact on global cap on, on the U.S. position in global capitalism. Uh, so we just don't know. TTIP, uh, the working class and progressive people need to oppose it from the, our point of view. Uh, but there is also the kind of right wing, super right wing, ultra nationalist opposition. And of course, we have nothing to do with that kind of opposition. Okay. Well, similarly, you know, so many of the social justice issues we're confronting involve corporate control of government, black and brown lives, you know, snatched by increasingly militarized police and the private prison industry, of course, seemingly endless war cheered on by the military industrial complex, issues of climate change controlled by fossil fuel industries and you know, we just played Bernie Sanders speaking to a crowd in front of the White House this week, calling the building of a pipeline, another pipeline in, two, in this year, 2016, insanity. So what has been your reaction to Standing Rock, where law enforcement is basically brutalizing and arresting Native people and their supporters on behalf of a private corporation uh, building the pipeline? And I want also for you to talk about this uh, aggression in the context of our conversation in terms of state-sponsored repression and a challenge to the left. Yeah, and thank you for that, because that's extremely important. Uh, not only is law enforcement using attack dogs and pepper spray and tear gas and rubber bullets against peaceful protesters, water protectors at Standing Rock on behalf of a private corporation. That private corporation also is an investment of Donald Trump. He has a million dollars invested in that particular corporation. I think the corporation is is defying any sort of slowdown uh, orders by the government in terms of construction because they now feel the wind at their back with Donald Trump coming into office. Uh, Donald Trump, of course, uh, is only about profit. And uh, I think that they feel that should Trump come in, all of the all of the efforts, either by environmentalists or the indigenous uh, Sioux Nation and other indigenous peoples who have rallied together in Standing Rock will be uh, the, the focus of a major federal government attack, where with the Obama administration, at least the Army Corps of Engineers uh, is making recommendations that would, uh, you know, pr- presumably be a relief to the to the uh, Sioux Nation there and to the people trying to stop the pipeline. It doesn't mean it's done or it's a, a victory, but it, it, it indicates that the Obama administration's position will be different than the Trump administration's position. Of course, the Trump Trump administration is going to appoint to the EPA someone who says that climate change is a hoax. Uh, they say they're going to rip up the Paris climate talks, uh, which it aren't, the Paris climate treaty is insufficient anyway, but uh, ending a U.S. participation in it, and the U.S., of course, is the greatest carbon emitter in the world, uh, will have you know, it's an irreversible, we're, we're going towards an irreversible position in terms of climate change. The Standing Rock issue is not only about environment, it's about whose land is it. That land is not the U.S. government. It's not the, it's not the land of the states of Dakotas. That land, by treaty rights, belongs to the Sioux people. Right, and right. the United States, when it signs a treaty, the treaty becomes, according to the U.S. Constitution, the highest law of the land. It's not something some government or some corporation can undo. 
unless this people, the indigenous people say, yes, that pipeline has to be stopped on those grounds alone because it's their territory. It's the essence of self-determination, and this is the essence of criminality. We are rapidly running out of time, but we'll hopefully we can get in a couple more questions. So I want to know how the left, or can, can we get organized labor to support job growth outside of projects like uh, the, that pipeline or the increasingly privatized uh, mass incarceration industry or war? Uh, or is the system just too broken to retrieve our public treasure from the war economy? Uh, it's never it's never too late. Um, everything is about the magnitude of struggle, the magnitude of the people's struggle. I mean, if we think back to what the pioneers say of the civil rights movement, uh, including the ones that the government sort of has made into an icon like Rosa Parks not sitting down uh, or not giving up her seat in Montgomery in 1955. I mean, just think of the odds that those people were facing. A police state, an apartheid state, a state that had was prepared to use unlimited amounts of violence against any people who resisted apartheid in the South. And yet people did stand up. Uh, Rosa Parks didn't uh, give up her seat. She was arrested. And then the masses of people, shockingly to all, including to the leaders at that time, they came into play. They became a factor, part of the political equation. And a bus boycott that was supposed to last one day, then went two days, then went a week. And finally, as we all know, lasted a year. And public uh, segregation of uh, segregation of public transit uh, ended in Montgomery. And that became the spark, the catalyst for the mass movement that took place throughout the South. The third American revolution, I would call it. Uh, a revolution that even was so great in its power that the same in compositionally racist Congress passed the, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. The same racist Dixiecrats who dominated Congress in 1954 passed this far-reaching legislation in 1964, not because they changed, but because the people changed. The people became imbued with a sense of uh, energy and confidence and struggle perspective for the left is that wherever and throughout history, wherever the left has made gains, it's because uh, the movement grew, the movement of real people, the movement of so-called average people who became actors and became the dominant actors on the historical stage. I'm not okay. filled with pessimism or gloom right now. Uh, the labor movement has lots of has millions of workers who are being misled by a lot of the labor leadership. But those workers uh, need to hear, hear from the left. If we don't hear, if they don't hear from the left, then, of course, they will be captured by the leadership will be captured by somebody else. OK. All right. Uh, I've been speaking with Brian Becker of the Answer Coalition for this month's segment on the F word. And uh, thank you, Brian, for joining me. I uh, will definitely have to have you back. You know, I have a lot more questions for you. So we'll have to do part two in the future. Word. Okay. So okay, tomorrow tomorrow Saturday at four o'clock at George Washington University, there's a mass meeting for everyone who wants to get involved in planning the counter inaugural protest against Donald Trump. Right. And there's also at twelve thirty, uh the DC anti fascist coalition is demonstrating out in front of the where the National Policy Institute is will be uh having a conference. Uh, at 13th and Pennsylvania at the, at the Ronald Reagan building. So we announced that earlier. So it's a lot going on. <laughs> Certainly a lot going on. Thank you, Brian. 
And that will do it for us on On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. A special thanks to my guest, Brian Becker of the Answer Coalition. Thanks to Michelle Roberts, Chantel James, Lydia Curtis, and Michael Byfield for their reporting and production assistance. Thanks to our engineer, Michael Nacella. You, you can reach the show at onthegroundshow.org, where you can now listen to all of our shows, our past shows. Please like our Facebook and Twitter pages at On the Ground Show. I'm Esther Averm. Raise your voice. Peace.